what to do with this news that Sam and Allison are having another child. Because <laughs> what if it's a girl? That's four girls in the same household, plus mom. This is, I, but here's the thing. is So you throw a boy in there, he, he's, he's going to have no hope for a future. <laughs> right? Here, I got the way, I got, this is how it's going to be fixed. Because I'm a thinker. Um, triplet boys. <laughs> Let's pray. Oh, <laughs> uh, that would be great if that actually happened. And I would not apologize. I would take credit for it. So, here's, here's uh, some things that have been happening that uh, process a little bit. So, so you've been seeing a lot of the stuff with, um, now all of a sudden the CDC is saying that the virus actually came from a lab in Wuhan. Like everybody's like, what? Did not see that coming. So, I, I, you know, you wonder when, when the news, when the media starts saying things, you've got to question, what is the reason, what is the motive? There's, there's reasons why that stuff does not happen accidentally. Then you've got all of the, the movements by China now, and they're connecting with Putin at really deep levels. Putin's been meeting with them. I talked about that a couple weeks ago. Um, and then also, um, what was it, two weeks ago, Putin uh, mobilized nuclear warships just out to sea is what they say. Well, Ukraine is not out there, so why are they doing this? I mean, there's a lot of questions you've got to be asking. Two, two things that I think, they actually fit together in my opinion. But I, but I don't think we think they're the same thing. But the first one is that Putin signs a bill this last week to suspend the last nuclear arms treaty that, he, that they had with us. The, the, the nuclear arms treaty that Russia and I had, I, <laughs> Russia and who are we? United States of America had. Um, that has been, Putin has now canceled that. Right? Which means he can launch anywhere he wants, from anywhere. No, no. I mean, we're going to still say that's not okay, but we had a treaty for that. And and now and, and, and biggest thing is producing. Producing nuclear warheads, okay? So that one's been taken off the table. In the process of that, our president, President Biden, negotiated a deal with the World Health Organization, or what's known as the WHO, um, to give authority to the WHO over the U.S. when it comes to future pandemics. He negotiated that two weeks ago. I, I just think all this thing, stuff fits together. We, we are being set up to have our democracy taken down. And then uh, Biden also said that, now this is more internally. The only reason I'm saying this is because I know it's about to affect me in two or three weeks. But uh, any government worker now has to use all the pronouns or whatever that uh, they're told to use by whoever wants to be, have them used. We can just come up with whatever. Uh, Biden just now made this law that this is going to be all government employees. Well, we just had a big uh, kerfuckle at the, in the, on the floor of the House uh, Wednesday about ERA. And they were... Um, talking about equal rights Roman. So we got up and we just went down through, a, a handful of us as representatives went down through a line and said, um, 
just because you say you're trying to get uh, equal rights for women, here's some women that do not have equal rights. Uh, women that want to raise their own children and not have public schools tells them what to do. Uh, women that are in wombs, they're not grown yet, but they're still women in wombs that they have no rights. They get killed. Uh, women that, and this was a bill that I put forward, I won't go into it, but it got knocked down, that says um, a woman changes her mind after the abortion pill. Abortion bill's two pills, okay? I don't want to go into all that yet. You can study it yourself. But it's two processes. The woman takes the abortion pill, changes her mind. Um, Planned Parenthood keeps it secret from them that there is another option. And I put a bill that said you need to tell them. Because there is, they can say the baby. And I presented over 700 children that were saved through that. And the Democrats said that's a big lie. And uh, they canceled my, they killed my bill. And so th these are women that don't have rights. We went down through all this stuff. And then I ended with XXXY are men and women. And no matter how you look, dress, or t talk, or change your name, or do whatever, you cannot change XX and XY. And I got ga gaveled for that one. And, um, and then another guy caught up and said, use the term biological woman, and he got gaveled for that. He said it again, he got gaveled, and he was about to get shut down, and he finally just quit. What I'm saying is they're about to do this. I guarantee you in the next few weeks they're going to do this to us in the house. They're going to say we have to use all the pronouns because the next day um, this transgender person got up and talked for so long about how he was so horribly hurt and everybody attacked him and he was feeling so much hate in this room because I said XX and XY. Guys, this stuff is its all around us. It's happening. It's coming to us. And I think the world scene is playing into this in every single step. The world scene is part of this stuff. We've got to be paying attention. I tell you what to do is read a book, the new book by Eric Metaxas called um, Letter to the American Church. Read that. First, Eric is the guy that did the Bonhoeffer biography, best biography I've ever read. He also ties some things in. He says, look, this is what the German church looked like right before World War II and during World War II, and the American church is looking the exact same. The exact same. Let me... Let me jump into this because I want to I keep that thought process. Acts chapter 15, verse 11. We believe that we are all saved by the same way. And then he explains this. He says, by the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we say, well, I thought I was saved by the blood of Jesus. Well, that is the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Well, I thought I was saved because Jesus died on the cross. Well, that's grace that did that. Um, well, I was made right by the blood of Jesus. That's grace that does that. We don't, we don't have the cross without grace. In fact, we don't have from Genesis 4 on without grace. Unless grace, unless, unless God says, okay, you know what? You, you guys broke everything, but I'm going to give you another chance. And then how many times from Genesis 3 all the way to the end of Revelation does he give us another chance? And he gives us another chance. And he gives us another chance. Why? Because he's, that's who he is. It's not deserved. We don't do anything to deserve it, but, but that's who he is. And so he gives us something that we should not have called grace. And then he, and then he tags mercy onto it just because he's a loving God. 
But we have the opportunity to know God. That, that within itself is, is enormous. And so then what, what's happening is we, we see this, that we're all saved the exact same way. And we, in the church, what is happening, and, and actually um, Metaxas goes over this some in his book. He says we, we, um, we have the ability to say truth to people, but we don't because why? We have been controlled and manipulated to the point where we think if we tell somebody else truth, that we're being a horrible person somehow. That we're, we're saying hate speech. Well, here's the truth of this. You and I and everybody else are sinners. We're sinners. And we need the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive us. If we take a certain segment of that group, whoever that, however you want to define this, and you take a group that you, that, um, that you're uncomfortable with and you say, well, I'm not going to talk to them about grace because they will see me as whatever hate speech. Okay. If I talk to somebody that's, um, that's uh, homosexual and I tell them, this is what the Bible says. You need to be saved. You need to be forgiven of that. Well, that's hate speech. We can't do that. You, and you can go all down the line of this. This is one of the things that I don't understand that's been working into the church so much is if you tell somebody that abortion is actually murdering a baby, which if it's not that, then tell me what it is, right? And if it's not that, they say, well, you know, when does life begin? Well, all life begins at the beginning, back up until it's not a, until it's not a living thing. That's when it began. The moment of conception is when life begins, because it doesn't magically happen somewhere later. But if we say that stuff, well, that's hate speech. We're attacking. Guys, here's the reality. Jesus died on the cross for why? Because we are sinners. Because he wants us to be forgiven. Because he wants us to be made right with God. And that is his grace. That is his love that is doing that. It's not, it's not because we, we earn this or deserve this. It's because Jesus is so much bigger than us that he can look past all of our sin, all of the stuff, and he can save us. By the way, this is not a New Testament thought process. The New Testament, everything in the New Testament is a, um, is a, uh, uh, a fulfillment of what's going on in the Old Testament. So this idea of grace, that's not a New Testament thing. Grace didn't just happen because Jesus came to this earth. He, he is a God of grace that's part of creation at the very beginning in, in Exodus chapter 34. Now, this is, this is when Moses is giving us well, from God. God gave it to Moses. Moses has given us the Ten Commandments. This is this time frame. Okay? So this is when we are getting what we would consider the beginning of the law. And I say this all the time. If you go to the Ten Commandments and you, and you start at the beginning of, at, of, before you get to what we would call like the list of Ten Commandments, if you read through that, you see where this is a God that loves us. Everything about the Ten Commandments is God loves us. He's, he's helping us. He's trying to show us a better path. He's trying to show us a path that will keep us safe and close to him and all these kind of things. Well, this is the time frame when Moses is, is, is getting the Ten Commandments, going to bring them um, down off the mountain kind of thing. And it says, uh, verse 5, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. And he, the Lord, called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh the Lord. Now, this is 
the Ten Commandments moment, and he says, the God of compassion and mercy. He doesn't say the God of a bunch of rules. He's given us the Ten Commandments, but he's not saying, hey, guys, here's all the rules. You better go with them or I'm going to knock you out or something. It's, it's he's saying, I'm trying to help you. If you can get past the idea that as human beings, we don't like rules. But it's because of who we are. It's not because rules are bad. It's because he's trying to help us. And he says, I'm a God of compassion and mercy. And then he says, I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. This is, I think somewhere, and I feel like as I'm saying this, it sounds like I've I figured it out. But I do know this. I figured it out way more than I had 20 years ago. Oh, now you got to start. Whoever that, okay, so... But here's what, here's what I figured out. When God's, when, this is the way my mind does it. If God is going to take time off from running the universe to take time with me to say, Scott, you need to change something. I think that's a good thing. I don't think that's a bad thing. Now, I didn't used to think that way. Back in the day, it was all bad. God, if God convicted me or somebody said something to me, or what, how dare you do that? But God is trying to help me. When he gave us the Ten Commandments, he's trying to help us. He's trying to show us a path. He's trying to show us this grace. He's trying to show us his love. He's trying to show us that he really does have a plan. And his plan for humanity is way better than humanity's plan for humanity. If we'll just do what he says. So, Romans chapter 16. We understand that Jesus comes and he dies for us. And he gives us grace, he gives us mercy, we have salvation, and we can be saved. And then, I remember the first time I really, I think it's probably the first time I really paid attention or read this verse or heard it or whatever, I was sitting in church, I was in college, and my father-in-law, who was not my father-in-law at that time, he was just... Linda's dad that happened to pastor the church, which was very uncomfortable. Every time I walked into church, I felt guilty. I wasn't even doing anything, and I felt guilty every time I walked in. I'm like, I just like her. I just don't want to. But he, he preached this sermon. It stuck in my head because of what he did with it word-wise. But I'll show you a picture that happened because of this. Romans 16, 20, it says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Now, in the King James, the, the, the order of the scripture is a little different. And it says um, that, that something along the lines of God, the God of the God will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Here it uses that soon crush Satan. It said crush Satan shortly. Okay. Well, my father-in-law is a very short individual. And um, as is his daughter. And so... He made a big joke that Satan is going to, that Satan, that God was talking to him personally, that God's going to crush Satan under his feet, Shorty. So I'm like, I don't think that's what the scripture, but you know, I'm like 18 and I'm thinking, well, this is clever, <laughs> right? Now I'm like, that was, that was bad illustration. Nobody makes jokes like that from the pulpit. So, <laughs> but, uh, but here's a, here's a deal with this guys. This is something I think, cause we know that scripture, right? Well, this is what I hear in my head now because he did that sermon that way is that Satan is a, is a little shorty like this tall. 
And all I have to do is step on him, and, and God crushes him because he's only this big. And by the way, that's, that's a good scriptural thing. You can run with that scripturally. Satan can't attack you without having God's permission. He can't do anything to you. He can only lie to you. It's the only weapon he has is lies. So how difficult would it be to crush Satan under our feet? Now, here's the reason that I'm, that I'm taking us down this road. It's because I think there's something in the second sentence that's interesting. It says, may the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. If God is crushing Satan under our feet, then why does grace need to be with us? Why do we need grace with us? Is, it what, is grace what crushes Satan under our feet? I think part of the conversation there is yes, but we've got to unpack this. So let's go up to verse 17. Let's read this whole thing in context. And Paul says, Now I make one more appeal, my dear brothers and sisters. Watch out for people who cause divisions and upset people's faith by teaching things contrary to what you've been taught. Now, this is a specific group of people, and this is important as we walk through this. These, these are church people, right? This is not the lost out there. These are church people. How do we know that? Because he says that they will cause divisions and, and come in and teach things. They're going to teach things to you that are contrary to what you believe. Stay away from them. This is something that sometimes in the church world we don't do in a proper way. We go over the top sometimes, and we don't other times. Sometimes you got good people that are trying to do the right thing, and, and the church just abuses them. And then you got people that are not legitimate, but they're good at what they do, and so we get so deceived because we're not in Christ like we're supposed to, and we're not in the Word like we're supposed to, that they can deceive us and cause division. I've seen both of those things happen different times in church's history. So stay away from them. Such people are not serving Christ our Lord. They are serving their own personal interest. By smooth talk and glowing words, they deceive innocent people. And God is very particular. This, is, this goes in line with the uh, scripture that's, that, that uh, says, if you uh, deceive or you cause one of his young ones to stray. Now, a lot of times we think he's talking about little children like age-wise on this earth. And I don't think he's that's what he's talking about. It could include them, sure, because they fall into the category. But he's talking about people that are young in Christ and don't know stuff. And he says it's better that they have a millstone thrown around their neck and for them to be thrown into the sea. Okay? But everyone knows that you are obedient to the Lord. This makes me very happy. I want you to be wise in doing right and stay innocent of any wrong. Then he says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. May the grace of our Lord be with you. Now, I think what he's doing here, because if you'll look, and by the way, this is consistent through the whole New Testament. So this isn't like, well, are we trying to figure this out in this verse? I think the reason we can figure this out quickly in this verse is because it's so strong other places in the New Testament. That, that Jesus never picks on the lost in the New Testament but he picks on the church all the time. And we get that backwards in the church. We pick on church people and don't say anything to the lost. We're scared to death to say something to the lost. Well, well if I tell them about Jesus, they're going to think I think they're a sinner. They are a sinner. It doesn't matter whether they think you think that. What's important is that they are and they need Jesus the same way you need Jesus. 
So we should be talking to people. We should be interacting with them. We should be trying to engage them. And, what, and, the, and the hold accountable group is more in the church than it's ever expected to be outside the church. We're supposed to be a people of grace that crushes the head of Satan or crushes Satan under our feet. So what we do is we crush Satan and we give grace to people. He doesn't say crush people. He says crush Satan and let grace flow through. You know, you've heard me talk about this many times. We, for grace to be active in our life, for the grace of Jesus Christ to be good in our life, it has to be flowing through us. We have to be a conduit. Not, if, if grace stops with you, it's not, it's not doing what it's supposed to do. And, he, and you can actually say this about a few other things, okay? If the love of Jesus stops with you, something's wrong. Something's wrong in how you understand Jesus and love and what that means for others. We're supposed to be a conduit. We're supposed to love people. Jesus is supposed to love people through us. The idea that grace would stop at us is not a biblical concept. The fact that somehow that Jesus died on the cross only for me is not a biblical concept. He died on the cross for everybody, and he doesn't want anybody to perish. So what does that mean? That means grace has to flow through me. Okay? Now let's go to Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Don't, man, don't we just not like this one? This is, I, we could move on, right? Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Now, this is, this is pretty interesting because I think Peter kind of is, Peter and I are kind of liking this. I think when he comes to Jesus and when he says to Jesus, should we forgive people seven times? I think he thinks he is being so magnanimous. Don't you think? That he is, man, he is just so much better than the other disciples because he thinks we should forgive seven times. Now, what's going on in Peter's heart? Probably very similar to the things that go on in my heart when these kind of things. You know how many times I, what my personal theology of forgiveness is, how many times somebody can abuse me? Once. Can I get an amen from all the rest of you? Okay. Yeah, don't act like you're, oh, pastor, so he needs Jesus. But here's a reality. Guys, that is, that's human. What is the saying? Fool me once, shame on me. No, fool me, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on whoever said that a minute ago. Okay, so... I mean, that's, that's reality, right? That's being a human. We get hurt. Specifically, we get hurt deeply. I don't mean somebody cuts us off in traffic. I mean we're truly hurt. They have wronged us. They have, you know, they, these divisions. They call these divisions that I read earlier. And they try to harm you. This is reality, guys. There are people in life that really want to hurt you. There are, there are predators out there that would love to take advantage of you. This is the one thing that I've seen, and, and we've dealt with it in our own family, is the predators that are out there taking advantage of people as they get older. That drives me crazy. And they'll call you, and they'll do everything they can to try to get all your money from you. Now, I have all these legitimate reasons and all this stuff, and it just drives me crazy. You, you want to try to come fool somebody like me? Go ahead. If you can truly do it, 
more power to you. The only reason you can really truly fool me is because I am willing to do that because of my greed. That's reality. As people get older and and their memories are not working and they're struggling and stuff, and there are entire groups of people around the world that have sophisticated methods to take advantage of these people. I think they should be beat up regularly, like every day. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about, that you've truly been hurt. I ain't really been hurt. Abused. And, and for me, when that kind of stuff happens to me, once. And then Jesus tells Peter, who's feeling pretty pious, Jesus, how about seven times? And basically what Jesus says is, Peter, you, you're not even close. You don't get it. You don't understand grace. We like grace as we receive it, but grace is not something that we embrace as human beings per se on a theological, spiritual, rational level and definitely not pragmatically because why? It's difficult. It's painful. I think it's the most difficult thing that that Christians, once they become Christians, have to work through is grace, forgiving, forgiving other people, dealing with people that, that, that are harmful people that are attacking, that are doing all this kind of stuff. Now, we did see right above it where he said, stay away from people that are trying to do this. So there is some legitimacy to you. You don't have to embrace everybody out there. You don't have to be best friends with people that hurt you. This is one of the things that I think gets confusing when we talk about forgiveness. Is And I've heard this many times over the years, that forgiveness means that you have to, um, that you have to uh, get along with them. Forgiveness does not mean that. Because you've forgiven them does not mean that they're nice people. And the Bible says stay away from them. Well, forgiveness means we have to trust them. That is not ever going to be true. There are very untrustworthy people, but you still have to forgive them. All these things that pile up here. And Jesus says to Peter, no, not seven times. Seventy times seven. Now, I, I don't... I don't get it. I think Jesus is being too, he expects too much from us here. I can't forgive somebody 490 times. I'm I'm still working on two. And here's another thing, but the way that this is said here, I actually think that what Jesus is saying is not... um, you take so-and-so and the body of their work over your lifetime, you forgive them 490 times. I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying is per issue. Ugh. Forgive them? 490. I don't even know for sure if, if Peter knew his multiplication tables. I don't even know if he knew how, what number he was talking about here. He's like, that seems like a lot. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, now, through the whole thing, remember, Jesus is the one telling this story. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me. I will pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. And when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant 
who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. And then he says the exact same sentence. Jesus uses the same sentence for both, which I like it. Be patient with me. I will pay it. He pleaded. But his creditor would not, wouldn't wait. He, he had the man arrested and put in prison until his debt could be paid in full. Now, I know this was procedure at the time. It was normal. This was actually normal. I don't know how you pay off your debt in prison. I don't understand that. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. They, they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you, this is where we come in, we've been forgiven of this huge debt, shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid his entire debt. Now this is important because Jesus is telling this story, everything, even that prison to be tortured then he says, that's what, that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive my brothers and sisters from your heart. Because it doesn't get much stronger than that. This is how simple it is. We have to be people of grace. We have to be forgiving people. When you come across people that are not good people, you have to be full of grace. You have to treat them the way Jesus would treat them. And Jesus didn't just ignore sin. That's, that's, that's the other side of where the church has taken this today. <clears throat> Is that somehow, if we're going to be people of grace, we never talk about sin. That's not being people of grace. That's being selfish. These people are hurting, they're dying, and they're sinning, and they need salvation. They need grace that leads them to Jesus. That's why Jesus came and died. He didn't come and die so that we could all hold hands and have bigger churches. He came and died because the church is supposed to be the place where they can know Jesus died for their sins. What do you mean my sins? Well, the Bible tells us what they are. These are the sins. And he says, but, but you can be forgiven of this. You can be free of this. And I think most, if not all of us in here, Know what it is to be forgiven of sins. Know what it feels like, what the freedom of that is. So here's what I would like us to do. <clears throat> We're going to do a few things this morning. One is I'd like us to all get saved. You say, well, I'm saved. Okay. Good. But I would like us to get saved. I had a conversation with a guy a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about grew up in the church. Um, he said, you know, I don't know for sure if I remember a moment when I ever actually asked Jesus to be in charge of my life, to be my Savior. So I don't know that I ever actually asked that. And then we started talking about, like, Catholicism. You're not even encouraged to, to go down that road in, in most, not all, but most Catholic churches. The idea that you would actually get saved doesn't, isn't like part of their conversation. And uh, we were talking about this with different groups and denominations and everything. And um, we started kind of getting into where, where we are in the other end of evangelicalism and then Pentecostal charismatic. 
And he said, but you, you Pentecostals, you guys, like, you don't struggle with this. I said, we struggle with this just like any other group. And specifically nowadays, we have built a paradigm in the church where you come and you be a part of a cool thing called the church. It's a good social group. It's a connected friendship, social uh, subculture called Christianity. And we just, we just go to church and you get, a, you get coffee and you get donuts. And, and we just all get together. And, we, and, and then there's cool music and sometimes there's even lights and smoke machines unless you're in a boring church like us that will never, ever do that. But, guys, the idea that we're going to get saved, I think that's lost on the church in a great degree today. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to get saved. You're going to talk to him from your own heart and your life. And uh, I know I'm saved, but I do this fairly regularly. And we're going to take communion here in a little bit. I always do this before communion. I always do what you would call get saved. I don't think I'm getting saved. I think I'm already saved. But I'm doing something that is called getting saved, which is I'm dedicating my life, my mind, and my spirit to Jesus, and Jesus covers me with his blood, forgives me, and makes me right with God. That's getting saved, right? Does anybody need communion? Anybody got up here some? Uh, Russell, I think. Around this, okay. Uh, back at the back, all the way to the back. Jesus, we need you. Jesus, I thank you for forgiving me. I thank you for making me right with God through your blood. Jesus, I'm amazed by your grace, but it's, it's also pretty humbling and difficult to process that I have to I have to be that for others too. Your grace for me is amazing. And I need to have that grace extended to others through me. So Jesus, I want to start right now by asking you to be in charge of my life, God over my life. That you're the king. You're my king. You're the king of everything. You're the God over everything. There's nothing that's outside your scope outside your power, outside your understanding. Jesus, we thank you. So every one of us together, if you would like to, repeat this prayer with me and let's let's say this out loud to Jesus as a whole group, all of us together. Lord God, I need you 
more than anything. I need to be forgiven and washed clean. So I ask you to forgive me of anything I've ever done that's not pleasing to you. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. God, we thank you. We thank you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we thank you for what this bread represents in our life, what this means in our life. Jesus, we ask you to, to heal us. That's part of what this is. You told us in Isaiah 53 that you provided healing on the cross. The exact same moment you provided spiritual salvation on the cross. Mental and emotional healing, physical healing. So Jesus, we ask you, even as we're taking this bread together, heal our bodies all through this room. Give us healing for things people don't know about, for things people do know about. Heal our bodies. take the bread together. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the drink together. Jesus, we're so humbled by the gift that you gave us of yourself, that you allowed yourself to be poured out in the name of Jesus. God, we don't deserve that. But your grace and your love for us made it happen. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Lord, I pray that the next step we know is is difficult, but Lord, I know that your grace and your mercy and your spirit will help us this next step. In the name of Jesus. So, as I said earlier, as we, as we, as Christians, we have to be conduits of the grace of Jesus. If it stops with us, we have a problem. We're not letting grace, we're not people of grace. The scripture where he said, may the grace of Jesus Christ be with you. If it stops with us, we're not people of grace. We have to let grace flow through us. That's the only way that any of this scripture actually works. Jesus extends grace to us. It flows through us to other people. 
And so our challenge is going to be, can we truly extend grace and forgive people? As we know this is difficult, we know this is, this is where we all struggle. First time I really processed this and came across this in my own personal life, was quite a few years ago, 25 plus, and I began to realize I had some big issues and, they, and that they were all surrounded by whether I could forgive people. Now, when I say forgive people, there's going to be somebody's face that pops in your mind, right? Maybe a few. For me, there's a couple people that their face always pops in my mind and I always have to readdress. Have I forgiven that person? And I believe that I have. And, uh, but for whatever reason, it's so closely linked to me there that that's what happens. And, and then once I kind of process through that and I'm going through my faces because apparently I've got a lot in my, my, my mind, I get to somebody, I'm like, oh, did I, have I really forgiven them? Have I really forgiven them? Somebody said to me the other day after we had been on the floor of the house, well, these people are going to bust hell wide open. And I said, I sure hope they don't. Man, I dislike some of those people. More than I can tell you, I dislike some of those people. I don't want them to go to hell. I don't we've got to be careful when in our heart we start becoming the judge that says they deserve that. We've got to be very careful with that. We have a graceful God that loves us and he does not want us to go to hell and that same graceful God loves them and he does not want them to go to hell. And so we have to balance that. So here's what I would like to do. And and this is going to be a little uncomfortable for some of you. I get this. But I think this this kind of thing has, has, has power just even the way we do it. So why don't you guys all stand. And, um... If you're saying, okay, I'm struggling with forgiving somebody or I'm struggling with letting grace, maybe in just a general sense, like when you're in society, you see somebody and your first reaction is, ugh struggling with grace. I'm struggling with forgiveness. I'm struggling with bitterness for all the stuff, all the things. And we all have legitimate reasons. There's, that is never part of the conversation. But Jesus was a grace giver and we're supposed to be grace givers. So if you're struggling with this, if you're struggling, you need prayer for this. I'd like you to step out and come down front and just line up along the front and we're going to, we're going to have people pray for you. Come on. Yes. And here's, here's some things that let me help you with. When we do this, when we pray, for me, I can tell you specific times when God just broke that wall in my life. And it was strong, it was thick. And he just broke it. And immediately I felt freedom. Immediately I felt release of this. And 25 years later, I'm still asking myself, did I really forgive him? That's, that's kind of how our brains work and our human nature works. And sometimes you need to revisit it because you, you built it back up again, right? Sometimes it takes a little while for that wall to break. But what I'm expecting this morning as we pray is that the, is that the, the wall or the shell that can wrap up our soul in this will be broken immediately this morning. That's my prayer, that this will be broken immediately. And then 
We can let the Holy Spirit start working on some things having to do with that specifically. But that this shell will be broken immediately. Okay, Any, anybody else? I don't want to rush through this. I, I just know from me, I was always a guy going, I'm not going down there. Okay, I should go down there. I'm not going down there. Okay, I should go down there. Anybody else? All right, I want to invite uh, some of you guys to come up here and stand with different ones up here. And you don't have to know what they're dealing with. It's not our business, actually. It's the Holy Spirit's business. He does that, right? But for every one of you guys, just to keep in your spirit and mind right now, I really believe God can break this right now, but you've got to let him. You got to, and that's not easy. I, I get it. But he can break that stronghold right now. Let's pray, Lord. We, we pray for these standing down here. But Jesus, you are the grace giver. You gave every one of these people grace beyond what they'll ever know. You're the grace giver. You give us mercy when we deserve the opposite. Jesus, you love us so much. So God, I pray in the authority in the name of Jesus that you break the strongholds that Satan tries to build up against us called unforgiveness, bitterness. God, break this stuff right now in the name of Jesus. And not just everybody up here, but everybody in the room, Lord, that we can be free be free of this and that no human will have control over us only the spirit of God will have control over us no event in our life will have control over us only the spirit of God will have control over us God we thank you for this we give you all glory for this that you are truly the grace giver So, Lord, just wash us. Wash our minds and our spirits. Wash us with your blood, Jesus. Get in our brains, our thoughts, and wash in our thoughts. In the name of Jesus. And wash us clean. Let the bitterness just falls off. The unforgiveness just falls off. And we just stand before you as your as your child, full of your spirit. In the name of Jesus. And as Satan tries to mess with us, attack us, tell us that we can't let those people off scot-free. Jesus, you're the judge, we're not. Get that in our spirit right now. Push that into our spirit. We're not the one that's supposed to hold people accountable. You are. And you'll do it way better than us. I must be fearing that. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you. God, through this week coming up, that everyone is the whole everyone is in this room that 
we'll, we'll see moments of your grace. We'll see moments of even your mercy that we deserve something else, but you, you gave us mercy. And that we can see your grace in our hearts and our lives toward others. People that, that we would normally say don't deserve it. But Lord, that you will be moving through us, you'll be flowing through us. And your grace will be, will be given to others through us. We pray this for your glory, Lord God. In the name of Jesus. Amen. So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the chance to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody Jesus loves them. Get some boldness and step out there, and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are to see them, and we will see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your day.